Jacob's Wells Media presents Strange Tales from Humble Life by John Ashworth. Narrated by John McDonough. John and Mary. There is something very impressive, and if seen aright, profitable and instructive, in marking time's silent power. Ancient nations and ancient cities, halls and palaces of ancient song, molder into ruin and are numbered with the things that were. The old tree and the old house, sacred from many endearing associations, crumble into dust, and succeeding ages know them only by tradition. But nowhere is the touch of time's fatal finger seen and felt so distinctly as in the gaps made amongst our relations and friends, or in the changes in our schools and congregations. Here his doings are often painfully visible, and annual records have to tell of their death. The chapel for the destitute shares largely in these changes, for in proportion to our numbers we have many aged and infirm people. And this year two of these ancient ones, amongst others, have fallen from our ranks, old John and old Mary his wife. One is dead and the other is dying and two more primitive creatures it would perhaps be difficult to find. Old John was small in stature, had thin grey hair, carried his head on one side, walked with a short, quick step, and leaned heavily on a stout hazel stick. Mary, like her husband, was short in stature, had grey locks, was very thin in flesh, and had a sharp nose. She wore a well-washed printed dress of very ancient pattern, but no crinoline, a scuttle-shaped bonnet, a white linen cap, with a large border round her small face. In their later days they were so infirm that they had to depend on friends to help them up the steps of the chapel and when they made their appearance, persons sitting in the aisle rose to make way for the feeble couple to reach their accustomed place amongst the aged worshippers near the platform. John, in his younger days, had been a very hard-working man. For more than thirty years he had been a slubber in a woolen mill, and during the whole of that time he had never once entered a place of worship except at a funeral. Like thousands, John, during these thirty years, lived very much like a donkey, eating, working, sleeping, drinking. Only the donkey never drank until it tumbled into the gutter, which John often did. But he adopted one plan which drunkards might imitate with advantage. He got drunk at the public house which was nearest his own home, for he said drink was so bad to carry that he did not like to carry it far. His little wife had not only a sharp nose, but a sharp tongue, and the sound of that tongue at the door of the drinking house was a signal for John to finish his cup. Some wives fetch their drinking husbands home when they want to taste a little themselves, 
But Mary would never taste a drop, nor would she prop him up by taking hold of his arm when going home, for she said people could not tell which was the tipsy one. If he fell, he fell, and she would give him a long or short lecture until he could gather up his legs and walk. Her speeches on these occasions did not vary much. When he tumbled, she would say, There, down again, down again, thou should bring the publican with thee to help thee up. Thou hast bought his fine wife another yard of ribbon for her fine cap, and when thou buys her another yard, thou wilt roll in the mud again. I wonder what I was doing when I wed thee. I wish it was to do again. Get up this minute. Get up. John took his wife's scolding very patiently. He would scramble to his feet, balance himself, and make another trial. He thought as well of his little wife, as such characters generally do, and that is not saying much. For a man to pretend to love his wife when he leaves her fretting, sorrowing, lonely, and often weeping because he is degrading and disgracing both her and himself and spending the money that she needs for the requirements of the house, for such a man to pretend to love his wife or children is downright hypocrisy. A man is what he does, not what he says— but there was one good thing about John. He never neglected his work for drink. He would toil hard at his toiling business during the week and have a short fuddle on the Saturday evening and a longer one on the Sunday. His careful, plodding wife did the best she could. She kept their cottage clean, had a tidy fireside, a well-polished set of mahogany drawers, and the stockings well mended. But what a life was this for two immortal beings, made in God's image, made capable of the highest enjoyments, sleeping, eating, working, merely dragging on an existence, and nothing more. Utter strangers to those higher and sublimer thoughts arising from intellectual aspirations or those still grander and more enduring spiritual emotions, springing from union and communion with the fountain of purity and bliss. They lived as many live, with no joyful greetings for the return of the blessed Sabbath morn, no longing for the sweet period mercifully given for the gathering of the sons and daughters of toil, to those earthly sanctuaries emblematic of heavenly mansions. The cheerful intermingling of the followers of the Lamb, as they gathered from hill and dell round their various altars on the Lord's day, never found John or Mary joining in their happy assemblies. No, nor did they in their cottage home even kneel together in prayer, or open the pages of the book of life. They lived without God and without hope, consequently without joy and without peace. For let the world say what it will. 
solid joys and lasting pleasures none but Christians ever know. Mary, in afterlife, when speaking of this long, miserable blank period, often said, We lived like pigs, and worse than pigs, though we were thought to be as good as our neighbours. Many of them died in ignorance and sin, and I can never tell how it was that God spared John and me. But there was not the same chance of knowing things then that there is now, and I think the poor were less cared for. There were not so many churches, schools, and chapels. There was one place of worship about two miles from where we lived, but the parson never went to see after any of us, except when we had a child christened, for we always brewed a peck of malt at a christening and invited the parson to come. Yet he was a very decent man, taking him altogether, for I never heard tell of him being drunk, though he liked a drop. But I think teetotal parsons are safest, for then they can say, Do as I do, and folks will take more notice of what they say. Mary's opinion may or may not be endorsed by all, but in one thing she was right. Churches, chapels, and schools have greatly multiplied, and the privileges of this day are immeasurably beyond what they were fifty years since. Old people then were ignorant of the simplest principles of Christianity, and often showed their ignorance to an amazing degree. I know something of the old minister to whom Mary referred and have often been to the church or chapel where he officiated for many years. One hot summer morning, as this minister was quietly wending his way up the rising ground leading to the church in company with an old man, looking at the hard cracked ground and the brown parched fields, he said to his aged friend, James, we must have prayers for rain today. James stood still, looked up at the sky, then at the waving branches of the trees, and quietly replied, It won't do, minister. It will be of no use. You might as well whistle while the wind is where it is. Foolish as was the reply, and strange as such ignorance may seem to us now, let us remember it is through our schools, and especially our Sunday schools, that we have been led to think differently. For now, almost every child taught there could tell that old man that he who created the winds holds those winds in his hands, and both winds and clouds obey him. We live in a glorious day, and we have glorious privileges, at least in this country. He that is a fool now, in things sacred and divine, is a fool because he will be a fool. But let him know that to whom much is given, of him will much be required. My first acquaintance with old John and Mary arose from seeing them at the chapel. Many have heard Mary tell of the first time she came. When repeating the story, she would say, 
I was wandering about in the streets one Sunday evening, and seeing a card at the door inviting all poor people that attended no other place of worship, I stood still and read it, saying to myself, Chapel for the destitute, chapel for the destitute. This is a new shop, and I think it is the shop for me, for I am destitute enough in all conscience, and I will see if they will let me in. I went in and saw scores as poor as myself, and when they rose up and all began to sing, I began to cry. I never was so affected in my life. The hymn was, Come, let us join our cheerful songs with angels round the throne. After singing, the minister began to read out of the Bible the thirteenth chapter of Luke. I shall never forget that chapter. When he was reading that part which said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish, I thought, Well, I have done some things which I had better not have done, but I am not as bad as some that are here by a long way. But when he came to that part which says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, he stopped, and looking at us all, he said, How many present are doing what Christ here commands, striving? There is a time when we may enter the way to heaven, and a time when we cannot. When the door is shut, we may strive but then we shall strive in vain. I felt very strange while he was reading and speaking. I am not striving, I thought, nor is our John, and if heaven's door is shut on us, it will be a very sad thing. Before I came out of that place that night, I began to think I was as bad as anybody in it. I went home, and told our John all about the chapel and what I had heard, and I said to him, I can understand, young man, every word he says, but neither talks about Jews nor Gentiles, but about Jesus Christ coming to seek and save lost sinners, that we are all sinners, and that Christ died to save us all, and that except we repent and receive this salvation, the door will be shut, and we shall perish. I was in good earnest while I was telling our John, and was vexed to see that he did not seem to care. But I said, If I live until next Sunday, I shall go to yon place again, and thou shalt go with me. Mary did not succeed in persuading John to come the following Sunday, nor the Sunday following that. But she talked so much about the chapel, telling her husband all she could remember about the reading and sermons, and trying to induce him by kind words to make a promise to go with her, that at last he consented. She was so much afraid he would break his promise that she got Matthew Shepherd, an old man in the neighborhood, to call a little before the service time and encourage her husband to go. Between them they succeeded, 
and all three set out together. Mary took good care that her partner got as near to the preacher as possible, on account of his slight deafness, and two more attentive hearers could not be found in our congregation that evening. As they were returning home after the service, Mary asked John how he had liked it, and if it was not true that they had been living like pigs. "'Well, I do not think I shall go again,' replied John. "'Why?' asked his wife in great alarm. "'Well, I don't like to be made uneasy, and I have felt very much so to-night. If what we heard be true—' I have been wrong a long time. It is true, John, and we have both been living as if we had no souls, and it is quite time we began to cry for mercy, if it be not too late, and I do hope God will pardon us both, for I feel I cannot do as I am. I was glad when I heard of the conversation of the old couple, but was still more pleased when I was informed that they had begun to pray together in their humble cellar, and to ask others to pray with them. The Spirit of God had wounded their consciences and troubled their souls, and is it not a mercy when sinners, high or low, rich or poor, are troubled on account of their sins? Is it a fearful thing when a man is so hardened in his crimes that he is past feeling? One of the kings of France, Louis the Fourteenth, said to Fenelon, When I hear some men preach, I am pleased, and with others I am edified. But when I hear you, I am miserable and unhappy, and feel my sins." "'Thank God for that,' said Fenelon, "'for if there be no feeling of need, "'there will be no crying for help.' Fenelon was right. "'God be merciful to me, a sinner, "'is and ever will be "'the stereotyped cry of every contrite spirit. "'And that cry from a breaking heart "'ever was and ever will be heard.' At the request of John and Mary, a part of our company of the destitute went weekly to hold a prayer meeting in their cellar in Falling Road, and glad the old couple were to receive them, for one of the true signs of either penitence or pardon is a love of prayer, not simply praying, but loving to pray. I will remember attending one of these devotional gatherings. The company that day consisted of John and Mary, Matthew Shepherd, John Hamer, an old blind man, a street sweeper we called Ben, a half-wit called Robert, and several others. This Robert, or as he is more frequently called Bobby, is a well-known imbecile, about forty years of age. He has small, deep-sunk eyes near to each other, a low forehead, a strange, vacant look, and is very harmless. He regularly attends some place of worship, 
knows nothing about texts, but can always tell when it is twelve o'clock. He seems to hearken to all that is said, but if the preacher goes beyond the time, Bobby leaves him and quietly walks out of the chapel. There is not one spark of intelligence in his countenance, but he can be moved to joy by a Sunday school procession, a tea party, or the singing of children. And if the preacher should mention Canaan, happy land, realms of the blessed, glory, heaven, or Jesus, then he clasps his hands, smiles and looks up, and seems truly happy. And he was happy that night. I have been in many prayer meetings, and heard many strains of humble and exalted eloquence, but none more memorable than that evening in that cellar amongst those simple-hearted worshippers. Old John prayed first, saying, after he had repeated the Lord's Prayer, O Lord, I thank Thee for Thy goodness to me and our Mary. We had nearly been lost, and should have been, but Christ Jesus saved us. What a mercy! How good Thou art, O Lord! Help us all to be good, and to praise Thee. Amen. Mary, very modestly and tremblingly, prayed after her husband, saying, Lord, thou knowest what I want better than I can tell thee, for I feel afraid to pray when so many are here. I can pray the best when our John and me are with our two selves, but thou knows I can just say what Peter said. Thou knows all things. Thou knows I love thee, and I wish I could love thee more, for thou hast done wonderful things for all of us, and me especially, for once I was blind, but now I see. Amen. After singing a verse, we again all kneeled down, and old Matthew, always simple and earnest in prayer, said, O Lord, help me, and help me to pray. I have had hard work to get down on my knees, for old age is making my joints very stiff. I know what that passage of thy word means now, better than ever I did before. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I find I am getting very weak, but I love thee, Lord, this very minute, as much as ever I did in my life, and I think more. And if these old limbs are soon to tumble into the grave, well, it is all right, for I can truly say that if my heart and flesh faileth, thou art the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But I have one request to make, Lord, and, oh, I do wish thou would grant it before I die. Yon wicked son of mine, I think he gets more wicked every day. I am sometimes ready to wish he was either mended or ended. Oh, that I could see him converted! Then I think I could die any minute. I would then say with old Simeon, Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. 
And now, Lord, look at us all at thy feet in mercy. Thou hast done great things for old John and Mary, for which I believe they are glad. And they may well be glad, for they have had a narrow escape. The door had been near shut. And, Lord, bless old blind John Hamer. I think sometimes thou hast perhaps made him blind to save his soul, for he thinks more about his soul now than he did when he could see. David said before he was afflicted he went astray, and so have scores done besides David. Lord, bless us all, and make us what thou would have us to be at any price, for it will be the best for us in the end, and the end will come soon. And then I hope we shall all meet in heaven. Amen. While old Matthew was praying, Ben, the street sweeper, a fine, healthy, middle-aged man, was much affected, and with a tremulous voice said in his prayer, O Lord, when I see these poor old creatures, and think I may very likely live to be as old as they are, I wonder whether I shall have grace to keep me faithful and patient, for I am sure I shall need it then. Well, the promise is that as our day is, so shall our strength be, and that will do both for me and them. Help us all to have our lamps trimmed, for to know they are trimmed it will make us happy, whether the bridegroom comes soon or late. Amen. It was well for Benjamin that his lamp was trimmed, for in fourteen days after he offered that prayer, he was laid in his grave, though the most likely for a long life of any present at that meeting. I repeat the simple prayers of these illiterate people to show how their hearts are imbued with the love of God. The intelligent, educated Christian, when bowing before his Maker in the social means of grace, will necessarily clothe his thoughts and desires in more elegant language, but it does not follow that he gets nearer to the throne of grace. Simplicity in prayer is taught us by him who is the medium of all effectual prayer. And if the prayers of these simple people appear in the eyes of some to be irreverent, my experience amongst many such has convinced me that this is more in appearance than in truth. In these cellar prayer meetings, a scene both painful and pleasing was often witnessed. Feeble and infirm as old John was, he would kneel down during the devotion. No persuasion could induce him to remain standing or seated, for he had a strong conviction that in prayer he ought to bow down both soul and body. But after prayer he had always to be assisted to rise. His wife, the moment she rose, would walk across the floor, take hold of his arm, and help him to his feet. In their younger years, she could scold him and refuse him the helping hand when he lay drunk in the ditch, 
But now, with tears of thankfulness, she supports his trembling limbs, raising him up and placing him in his chair. Great care was taken that John and Mary should not be without food, clothing, or attendance. They had a small allowance from the parish funds, and many kind friends added to their comforts by daily seeing to their requirements. But the time was now come when their increased infirmities made it impossible for them longer to attend their blessed chapel, as they called it. Old Matthew and others had brought them there and taken them back as long as they could. On my last visit, Mary expressed a conviction that her time was short and spoke with remarkable calmness of her approaching end. Her only concern was about leaving her old partner behind, and she frequently desired that, if it was God's will, they might be both buried on the same day. But this desire was not granted, for on the morning of the 27th of February, 1866, in the 77th year of her age, her last lingering whisper died on her tongue, and that last whisper was, Mercy's free. Mary now lies buried in the free ground of the Rochdale Cemetery, and John's days are fast drawing to a close. His mind often wanders, and then he forgets that his aged partner is gone. He asks her to sing for him. He talks to her about the chapel, and wonders how soon old Matthew will call for him. Tells her if no one calls for him, he will try to go himself, and wants to know how it is she never speaks to him now. Because she does not answer, he weeps and begs her to speak to him just once more. Much of his time is spent in sleep, but during his conscious hours his mind is evidently fixed on eternal things. He prays for the people at the destitute, prays for all those who go to visit the sick and poor, and prays that he may soon be taken to heaven. Soon that prayer will be heard, and I believe that when the pages are read in the Lamb's Book of Life, on these pages will be found the names of John and Mary. <laughs>